Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. The New York Giants were mathematically eliminated from postseason contention last week in a loss to the Philadelphia Eagles. Yet reports came out before that game that quarterback Daniel Jones will be back in 2022. That head coach Joe Judge will also be back next season. Is that the right move for the Giants going forward? This is Greeny on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, and ESPN Plus. Courtney Cronin and Amber Wilson sitting in for Greeny on this Thursday morning. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. All guests on Greeny will appear via the Goodyear hotline. So there's two games remaining in the season. The Giants have the Chicago Bears on the road this week, and then they close things out against Washington in week 17 at home, at week 18 at home. There's probably not a lot to play for, all things considered here, Amber, the final two games of the season. But I do wonder if the outcome of these games, if this, if this team gets embarrassed in both of these games, if players quit and don't show up, is that a reflection on the coaching staff? And maybe does ownership change its mind if it really is considering bringing Joe Judge back for 2022? Where do you stand on this? I don't think it matters at all what happens here with the Giants down the stretch. I think that they made their decision regarding Joe Judge. It was actually the decision, frankly, that I expected that they would make. I I felt like that they still don't fully know what they have there in Daniel Jones. The Daniel Jones injuries have not helped, of course, this season. Some people are still in on him. Some people are out. We know what's happening here with this quarterback draft class that's coming up. Not a particularly good one. And if you're going to keep Daniel Jones, then you keep Joe Judge because I feel like those guys are linked. Like that decision is linked. Joe Judge, I don't know if they have the right coach in place. I just know that he hasn't had enough time to really show us. So I always felt like they were probably going to give that duo more opportunity here and then maybe just get rid of their GM. I'm not arguing that getting rid of Gettleman and not cleaning the rest of the house is the right move. I just It was the move that I expected that they would make as an organization, and it appears to be the one that they are, in fact, making. So now that they have made that decision, Courtney, I don't think it at all matters what happens here with these last two games. And frankly, I question how much they even want to win these last couple games because you have a point that, sure, like it could be considered on coaching if your players don't get up for the games, even if they're not in a position to make any sort of playoffs, obviously. But when it comes to draft positioning, I mean, you could argue that like maybe secretly ownership would kind of be like not so upset if they didn't win the last couple games. They right now are currently sitting at fifth and eighth in the draft order mm-hmm. with those two picks. And then I think they have a pick from the Bears, right? Yes. So Um, that pick from the Bears right now is the one that has them at number five, which technically they need the Bears to keep losing. Like they've Giants fans have been rooting all season long for the Bears to lose a lot of games because they want to see that pick increase where it goes in the rankings. Because the top five right now, Jacksonville, Lions, Houston, Jets, and Giants. So if your biggest needs are edge rusher, Great draft for edge rushers. Offensive linemen, you can always get a potential franchise, left tackle, whatever, in the top five. Quarterbacks, yeah, maybe that's a need, but I don't think you need to use the fifth overall pick in a class where you can probably get more value later on in the draft. But that's why I think this kind of does matter. And, and I mean, the coaching element on its own, 
I, I think that if you are the Mara family and you're looking at Joe Judge and trying to evaluate whether this is really your Bill Parcells, which have been the reports that have come out that um, John Mara has apparently found his next his next guy that he feels is going to be the coach of the future for the New York Giants. You want to see that he can get his guys to play for something, even though when technically they don't have anything to play for as far as getting into the postseason. Play for that draft pick. Play to improve your roster because, of course, they're going to bring back Daniel Jones in 2022. And you can continue to build around him because they failed to do that. Like, Evan Ingram's probably gone after this year. They haven't figured out how to use him appropriately, and I can kind of understand that. But you have Kadarius Toney. You have Kenny Galladay. Probably have Saquon Barkley moving forward, depending on you know what they want to do there. And again, if you're Dan- if you're Daniel Jones, if you're Joe Judge, and you're looking towards the future, probably looking at these last couple draft classes and saying, "Hey, that's not on us. Let us start fresh. Let us rebuild and, and build on what we already have here in New York." But I think it all starts with the ownership has to see that your guys haven't quit on you because let's think about this. They fired their offensive coordinator and Jason Garrett midway through the season because they felt like they had to do something to light a fire under this team and, and the blame had to be placed somewhere. If your players don't show up for you in a game that could affect, uh, you know, that could affect draft positioning of that top pick that you currently own, that's not on the play. Their players aren't going to be blamed. Ultimately, that's going to be put on the coaches more than anything else. I mean, we're still talking about a team with two top 10 picks. And yes, it would help your, that Bears game would help your, t- your higher pick, but harm your lower one. I mean, and then of course, uh, with that Washington game, I mean, that would, that would certainly help their positioning um, with that lower pick. I, I don't know if the players give a darn, frankly, about their draft positioning. I'm just talking about it from an ownership perspective when you're making these decisions in regards to the coach. And if you've already made that decision, you're already thinking, okay, I'm going to give them more time because of course the Giants have really lacked stability here like you mentioned with some of these decisions if they're getting rid of Gettleman they're going to lack even more stability and how much stability do you want to lack in terms of trying to be successful will it help Daniel Jones if you get rid of Joe Judge or is it more likely to help Daniel Jones to try to keep his head coach in place all of this is complicated too down the stretch by the fact that we're not seeing Daniel Jones in our center because of course he's shut down for the whole season so can ownership really be upset if the team isn't up for a game that not only are they not in contention for anything, so it doesn't matter really at all. I mean, assuming the players don't care about draft positioning, but they also don't have their guy under center. I mean, their starters not out there and they're missing pieces. And yes, we're living in this world where everyone's missing pieces, but I would imagine that's even more demoralizing when you're not actually playing for anything. It's been a really demoralizing season for the Giants. I just don't think that these last couple games will have any bearing on what happens here moving forward next season. I mean, that's going to be the last stop, I think, for both Daniel Jones and Joe Judge, uh, no matter what happens next season. Unless, of course, they prove us wrong and they end up being wildly successful. But I just mean either way, like next season's going to make them or break them. Well, I think optics are everything in this conversation. And when you have your starting tight end and Evan Ingram, who, again, they have not figured out how to use him the last couple seasons, his entire rookie contract, and he's probably gone after this year because of that. He says the other day that they fell well short of expectations. Well, where were the expectations? What was the bar set from ownership, from a team perspective, the whole thing going into this season? That's kind of where the conversation starts. And I just, the coasting nature that a lot of these NFL teams get into where people on the outside think there's nothing to play for. The coaching staff may feel the same. They may not. But from an optics perspective, 
if you don't have your players ready and you just got this vote of confidence and it looks like, hey, this took the last two games off, we're coasting to 2022, offseason starts now, we're not even showing up basically on the field, that might make ownership change its mind about, well, we thought you were the guy, like we gave you this vote of confidence, Joe Judge. If you can't even get your players, I mean, they quit in that Philly game. Watch the tape. They quit in that game. And that's a problem. And so if that happens against the Chicago Bears that is the Chicago Bears offense that is equally as inept as where the New York Giants currently stand. From top to bottom, like A, draft positioning like we talked about, B, the optics that your coaching staff may not care, that might change and swing the opinion of ownership I think going into 2022. Don't like, forget when, ownership made that decision after watching that Philly game, right? I mean, that's no, one that re- reason that, that report no, that report the came Adam out Schefter before, report was before. That came out before the Philly game and that's kind of where I was like, darn. Like I understand. I mean, they they beat Philly earlier this season, and it was right. a not a very convincing win. I mean, you got to put up like more than like ten or fourteen points to actually be like a good offense, and they know that. But I just look at this and I'm like, oof, like you know, don't test your luck, Joe Judge. Like, get your guys ready. Make sure that they show up in this game the way that they haven't in other instances this season. Make sure they're disciplined. I mean, that's the thing. Like, you got a special teams coach there who's your head coach, and your team jumps off sides on a field goal on the interior. I still can't get that out of my head. Yeah, really undisciplined on special teams. That is obviously very disconcerting for a special teams coordinator, 100%. I just think that they've already made their decision. The only way I think this conversation changes is like, could a Russell Westbrook or a Russell Wilson be in play? Russell Westbrook would not be helpful, even if he had a triple double no. last night. Russell yeah. Wilson, could he be in play in New York without being attracted to Dusty? Like that kind of conversation we could have about changing the landscape of Daniel Jones on a rookie contract. But Joe Judge, I, I, we're seeing him next year as the head coach, no matter what. Yeah. So does it matter? For better does or for it- worse, Giants fans. I'm yeah. not defending it. I'm just. I think that's Does it matter? Point. Does it not? Will these final two games play into anything? That's the big question here going forward for the New York Giants, Joe Judge's future. Apparently, he's coming back next year, but I tend to think that these final two games, if the team does not show up, could potentially swing the argument in the other direction. Greeny is presented by Progressive Insurance. If your pet is hurt in a car accident, Progressive pays up to $1,000 in vet expensive expenses with free pet coverage. Visit Progressive.com. Straight ahead, will Jacksonville be the best available NFL head coaching vacancy this offseason? Amber Wilson, Courtney Cronin, here on Greeny, ESPN Radio, ESPN App. Greeny, the podcast. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do. Big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills 
and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Greenie today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Greenie, G-R-E-E-N-Y. So we're nearing the final two weeks of the NFL season. We know that the rule has changed this year, that current coaches on current NFL teams are allowed to start interviewing for vacant head coaching positions. We know that the Las Vegas Raiders have a head coaching position that they're going to try to fill next year. And we know that the Jacksonville Jaguars, after firing Urban Meyer a couple weeks ago, will also be looking for a new head coach. Now, Jacksonville Amber has been in the news the last couple days with a lot of names. They're casting a very, very wide net to try to get all the hot name coordinators, offensive and defensive, to come in for an interview. Names like Tampa Bay's Byron Lefwich. Uh, Dan Quinn down at the down at the Dallas Cowboys, Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys, Todd Bowles, DC for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And we know that they won't be the only team that's trying to interview and get ahead of this. Um, but we did find out that the Raiders are not doing this right now because they're trying to somehow get back into the playoff picture here. They have a very small chance, but where there is a window, there is a team that is trying to fight its way uh, into the conversation. And we know that there was a report yesterday like that Dan Quinn turned down the Jacksonville opportunity. NFL Network is actually reporting that he didn't decline it. He just wants to get through the regular season, rightfully so. He has a playoff team on his hands, team that won the NFC East, um, before he does any interviews, which is kind of how the hiring cycle has worked in the last few years and probably will for most candidates this year. Maybe kind of makes to me see wonder, what else is open or yes. what else becomes yes, open yes, as well. Yes, because we know that the Chicago Bears have not fired Matt Nagy, likely to do so. Um, and there's other openings too. The Bears, Denver potentially, potentially the Minnesota Vikings. But it makes me wonder, since Jacksonville is the only one that's at least getting a head start here, are they truly the best head coaching vacancy available, which has kind of been propped up by the fact of you have a potential generational talent at quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. Do something with him. You've got all this cap space to spend building around him. Do something with him with that. You've got patient ownership. That's great. But everything else with the culture around this team, I wonder if that sours the the argument a little bit that it might be the best coaching vacancy available. Well, no, I don't think it's the best coaching vacancy available or that's going to become available. I mean, I think even the Raiders, which is currently available, is a better coaching vacancy than probably Jacksonville. But I also think that's one reason that Jacksonville is getting a head start on everybody here, because I think they know that they're probably not the most desirable landing spot. Also, just in terms of kind of the culture around that team, the reputation, the fact that it's such a small market and and, and one that hasn't had the success. So, you know, taking those things into account, it could also be a coaching destination that gets somewhat overlooked. Now, of course, there's only 32 of these, right? So like every job that's available is a good job in the National Football League, and it's a coveted job in the National Football League. But when you're talking about going after the most high-profile coordinators, which is what they're doing, and some of these former coaches that have had success in the NFL, which is what Mm -hmm. they're doing, they're obviously targeting 
proven NFL coaching talent and they've uh, they're done with their days of experimenting with proven uh, college coaching talent they have obviously mm-hmm. moved on to people here with bona fide NFL careers in terms of coaching that's the smart move also the smart move to catch a wide net early because also you get to see gauge who's interested like Dan Quinn's obviously like only so interested in that Jacksonville job. Let's be honest. Now, does he circle back and he ends up interviewing with them if he doesn't end up a contender for any other available position? That could definitely still be the case. But if he was dying to be the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, let's be honest. It's only a two-hour interview. It's an interview. I understand he's trying to win a Super Bowl with his current team, but I think he'd probably be able to carve out two hours for a simple interview if that was really his dream destination. Yeah, and it's not like he hasn't done this before. Like, let's not forget, he was the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons when they went to the Super Bowl during the 2016 season. So he's going to be a little bit more choosy this time around as he's already revamped his career with this Dallas defense that was in the pits last year uh, with Mike Nolan coordinating it. And now he has a chance to be like, hey, I'm going to sit back here and see the offers that come in, the request to interview me, and I'm not going to jump necessarily at the first opportunity that presents itself. Very smart veteran move. Not everybody can do that. Like sometimes, you know, for people who are less experienced or people who have not had the opportunity, whether they've been blocked or just not gotten the call to interview for these jobs, you might be like, yeah, Jacksonville, Trevor Lawrence, all this money, Shad Khan, like come on down. Like the whole thing would make it appealing and you might want to jump at that opportunity. Like I tend to think like, and maybe I'm just looking at this through rose colored glasses because I see all the positives with a team that has a number one pick at quarterback who next year is going to have his rookie season. Like we don't get into Trevor Lawrence and that argument all that much because I kind of give him a mulligan. Like his head coach is off doing God knows what and, and you know driving this team into the ground. Trevor Lawrence never had a shot from the beginning of this thing. So I consider that being, you know, the the driving point for me if I'm a head coach going in knowing I've got that guy as my quarterback and I'm effectively entering his rookie season. But then again, there's a lot of things that could make this job not as appealing considering it is hard to rebuild a culture that has been tarnished down in a, uh, with a franchise, and that is not exactly an easy task to do, no matter how good everything else may seem around the head coaching vacancy. Greeny, the podcast. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature 8-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. We have good seasons year in and year out, but it's time to finish. They feel like their important goal here is to try to win another national championship. At the end of the day, this isn't a vacation that we took. It's a business business trip. Cincinnati isn't just trying to beat the number one team in a perennial blue blood. They're trying to change people's minds about power five versus group of five teams. Knocking off uh, Alabama, talking about a dream come true. 
Number one versus number four in the Cotton Bowl college football playoff semifinal games coming your way on New Year's Eve. This is Greeny on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and on your smart speaker by saying play ESPN Radio. Courtney Cronin, Amber Wilson sitting in on this Thursday morning for Greeny. It's college football bowl season. Don't miss the college football playoff semifinals tomorrow as number four Cincinnati takes on number one Alabama, followed by number three Georgia versus number two Michigan coverage begins at 2 30 p.m. Eastern time right here on ESPN radio and you can watch those games on ESPN the co- this college football pre brought to you by cross-country mortgage with a home loan to fit your needs cross-country mortgage is dedicated to getting it done visit them at crosscountrymortgage.com all guests here on Greeny appear via the Goodyear hotline, and that's where we turn now. Sean Kelly, ESPN Radio play-by-play announcer, on the call for the Cotton Bowl tomorrow. Maybe the hardest-working man at ESPN. Sean, you were on the call for Suns Warriors on Christmas Day, the Liberty Bowl in Memphis on Tuesday, and now you've got the Cotton Bowl on Friday. Like, How do you prepare for three days? different games, two college football, one NBA in one week. Like I thought Amber and I were on a hard stretch here with doing radio every single day for four hours, but I think you take the cake. Well, I don't know if I take the cake or not, but I've gotten really good now at compartmentalizing a few things and trying to let each game go one at a time. Although today I'm like on dueling Zooms. I've got Alabama on one Zoom. I had Baylor on a Zoom. I've got Ole Miss later because I have the Sugar Bowl on Saturday night too. So it's starting to all run together. If I can just, even for five minutes with you all, focus in on Alabama-Cincinnati, that'd be a win. Well, I hope that you're able to get sleep at some point uh, in March, maybe <laughs> when your life uh, calms down a little bit and you don't have dueling Zooms. But you are on the call for the Cotton Bowl, number one versus number four. The first uh, group of five making it to the college football playoff, we know, with the Cincinnati team. And this Alabama team and their offense – getting a little bit of criticism this year just because they haven't been as explosive in years past. And I'm wondering, for a Crimson Tide run game that's averaging 4.1 yards per carry, not the best they've had under Nick Saban, do they rely more on Bryce Young in this game? Like, I do realize the guy just won the Heisman, but there have been some criticism just about how explosive this offense can be. Where do you think they go in this game against Cincinnati? Well, I think they try and stay as balanced as they can. You know, it's it's interesting. You, know, you have a 12-win team, and we want to take a shot at them, and, and maybe the shot goes toward their offensive line. I mean, this is a program that's probably had year in and year out one of the most dominant offensive lines, you know, throughout their program under Nick Saban. And this year's offensive line is probably not up to the par that uh, has been established under Saban. So, some of, I think, the, these numbers or the lack that they've been able to unable to blow the doors off of some people comes from that offensive line. And the only thing that I think I have a little bit of concern about with their offense is no John Mechie. Mechie's out with an ACL, and he, alongside Jamison Williams, kind of cured a lot of the ills that maybe uh, they lacked with regard to their run game. Brian Robinson, their leader running back, is a little banged up. But we got word this morning that he should be full go. And, and so between Young and Robinson and, and Williams, they're going to ask a lot of those three playmakers uh, to, do, you know, to do as much as they can against Cincinnati. So if that offensive line, which is plenty big, plenty strong, can keep Cincinnati in check up front a little bit, then I think Alabama won't be 
playing from behind or struggling to put points on the board. Well, and that Bearcats secondary is nothing to sneeze at either. So some of these matchups may be more interesting than people expect them to be. I'd also say here, Sean, that Alabama's weak other weakness would be their pass defense. If we are trying to find weaknesses here in this Bama team, what kind of a day do you expect from Desmond Ritter against that pass D? Well, he can use his legs, and maybe he didn't use his legs as much as this as he needed to this season, but I think here against Alabama, you're going to see maybe a little bit of the the Desmond Ritter that we saw two years ago, that he might have to use his legs a little bit. I think he leans on Alec Pierce, too. I know Alabama's concerned about Pierce. He wears number 12, and, and he is a big physical wide receiver. And with Alabama having um, depth problems at – both their corners, basically, Jalen Armour Davis is probably going to play. They're saying game time decision, but they need him for sure with Josh Job out. You know, otherwise, Kool-Aid McKinstry and Kyrie Jackson and uh, Christian Story, those guys have played very little. And if they have to rotate in five or six DBs, you're going to see Brian Branch move around a little bit and try and plug some of those holes. And so Cincinnati, who runs kind of a, a weird-looking – option type run game but yet has the ability to take the top off they may take some shots here uh, on early down situations and that might be a little bit of the equalizer for the perceived underdog in this game Sean Kelly, ESPN Radio play-by-play announcer. He's on the call for the Cotton Bowl during the college football playoff semifinals, Alabama and Cincinnati coming your way on Friday, New Year's Eve, joining Courtney Cronin and Amber Wilson here on Greeny. There's been a lot made about this being the David and Goliath matchup, and we've seen teams that – can't hold a candle to Alabama in years past, yet we have this discussion going into the game that maybe things will be different this time around, only for Alabama to be Alabama and show up and show who they are and their strength in the end. Now, I know Will Anderson, the linebacker, was giving a lot of credit to Alabama and saying that they felt like they were the underdogs in this game. Do you actually think that there is a chance that this will be a more even game between number one and number four and it won't be another blowout in victory in route to like another national title for Alabama? couple of things. Um, number one, no disrespect to the biblical context here, but David and Goliath might be the new drinking game. Um, so every time <laughs> we hear it, you might take a drink. And if I do that, I will be hammered by kickoff. That wouldn't be good for any of us. Um, but, you know, there's a, there's a few things in play here. Yes, it's a 13-and-a-half-point line. Um, Alabama's pedigree, its experience in these type of situations all play into it. But I'll say this. Um, Bill O'Brien, the offensive coordinator for Bama, he was quite blunt this morning in saying that, you know, Cincinnati would fit right in in the SEC with the way that their team is made up right now and with the way they've played. So I think that Alabama themselves see Cincinnati maybe more as a worthy opponent than many of us who are getting ready for this game. But at the same time, uh, it's still Alabama. It's still Nick Saban, who's won 35 straight games when facing a head coach for the first time. The last time he lost in that situation was in the Iron Bowl, and we know how freaky that can be. And, and look, using the word freaky, I think we can talk about that being a key word with regard to how this entire college football season has played out. So in the context of this particular season and this bowl season with 
opt-outs and COVID and everything else, uh, I'm, I'm going into this kind of with the who knows what we're going to see tomorrow afternoon. So that's what I'm hoping for, and I'm hoping that uh, the game itself will be a contest for quite some time. And if that's the case, then all bets are off if it's a one-score game as we go late third, early fourth quarter. Sean Kelly, ESPN radio play-by-play announcer here on Greeny with Amber Wilson and Courtney Cronin filling in for Mike Greenberg. Sean Kelly, of course, is on the call for the Cotton Bowl. So, Sean, with all of that being said, and you mentioned there what we're dealing with with health and safety and COVID and injuries and everything that we've been dealing with. I mean, we are thrilled that this game is occurring because, listen, that's not a given in this world that we're living in today. But you talked some about the injuries and pieces that Alabama is missing. What about since Cincinnati, how would you rate their health and their depth? Uh, good, real good. Uh, you know, they have got the – you mentioned their secondary, that's intact. Ahmad Gardner, Kobe Bryant, both really ready to go. Their front seven defensively is intact. Uh, and this is, look, the number one pass efficiency defense. So the fact that they've got their biggest pieces uh, healthy and ready to go is, is a big thing. You know, for Cincinnati offensively, there's there's not a whole lot of holes here either. I mean, th- this is a team that stayed relatively clean with regard to COVID. Um, you know, a little hiccup here and there, but they also get Cole Smith, their their kicker, back. And for a team that's had a mm, wild ride uh, with regard to place kicking, getting Cole Smith back after dealing with a groin injury all year is significant if we do get into that one-score game situation. So, look uh, – Based on what all that we've seen here over the last several weeks, I think that both teams are probably pretty good uh, with regard to seeing what we would hope to have seen. You know, both teams' best foot forward going into a playoff game. How cool of a story is it with Kobe Bryant? He's the cornerback for Cincinnati. He's going to honor his namesake in the college football playoff semifinal against Alabama, switching his number to wearing number eight in that game. Uh, I just love stories like that, and I think that this one definitely deserves a little bit of spotlight on it. Yeah, you know, gutsy move. Huh? I'm, I'm probably a little more superstitious than I should be, but if I was, you know, 13-0 and 0, uh, hadn't lost a game all year, I'm not so sure I'd change my number for the last one. But uh, Kobe says he's cool with it, uh, his teammates love it, and his family certainly does too. So it's a vet. You know, Kobe's in his fifth season, uh, his three interceptions – and 11 pass breakups certainly jump off the page at you. But, you know, he has the ability to go lock down another team's best corner. And the fact that he's got Ahmad Gardner on the other side allows him to maybe play a little more daring than, than a lot of corners or a lot of elite corners could do with regard to their, their whole team concept. So, yeah, no, I think it's great. You know, he, he grew up in the Cleveland area, so – the uh, the LeBron James references come up, and he kind of pushes them all aside and says, remember, I'm named after the Black Mamba, and I'm going with the Mamba mentality. Those are his words. Sean is on ESPN Radio on the call for the Cotton Bowl with Barrett Jones. Coverage beginning at 2.30 p.m. Eastern time on ESPN Radio. Friday, New Year's Eve, number one number versus number four, Alabama and Cincinnati in the Cotton Bowl. Sean, thanks so much for the time. My pleasure. I appreciate you having me, and I hope that you all have a great New Year's and uh, enjoy the football that's coming our way here in the next couple of days. 
We are looking forward to it. I, I wish for you to get some sleep here in 2022, but not holding my breath considering you have the Sugar Bowl after the Cotton Bowl. Greeny is presented by Progressive Insurance. Cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RV, and more at Progressive.com. Kyrie Irving said that he respected the Brooklyn Nets' decision to keep him out of practice, to keep him out of out of the works this year because of COVID-19 protocols. Remember, he did not comply with New York State's mandate that would require him to be vaccinated. So he was able to return to practice for the first time since the preseason, and he understood why the team decided to have him stay away because of that vaccine mandate. Here's Kyrie Irving on Wednesday talking about the decision that the team made and where he stands with his vaccination. You know, I just really empathized and I understood their choice to, to say if you're not going to be vaccinated, fully vaccinated, then, you know, you can't be a full participant. I knew the consequences. I wasn't prepared for them by no stretch of imagination. You know, coming into the season, uh, I had my thought process on, on being able to be a, a full teammate and just go out and have fun and, and provide a sense of a great brand of basketball out there. But unfortunately, it didn't happen like that. Things happen for a reason. And now we're here. And I'm just grateful for this. This is Greeny on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Courtney Cronin, Amber Wilson sitting in for Mike Greenberg. I don't know how he can say he wasn't prepared for that when the mandate was known from the start. Like, did he expect the team to bend over backwards to try to accommodate him? I mean, clearly they have, but how could you have expected that from the very start of the season? Right. Well, and you had to have known that there were consequences uh, for being unvaccinated because obviously the difference just in testing protocols and availability and quarantine and all of that between the NBA and the NBA PA. Maybe he didn't expect the New York government to come in with a rule about, you know, being able to be in arenas if you're unvaccinated and that sort of thing. But you knew that there was consequences to being unvaccinated in terms of your ability to do your job. And then you knew that the position that the team was in was going to be a difficult one when the laws did change. And we know how strict New York has been during this whole pandemic. So I do think it's something that he should have at least had some sense was coming that maybe you wouldn't be. And I mean, we were all talking about it anyways. Like, mm-hmm. this could be a thing. This could happen. These uh, you know laws are going into effect. This is how these cities are handling the pandemic with the strictness of both San Francisco. And we were talking about at one point, New York at one point. I mean, there were several cities that we were talking about the potential of the impact for those players on the NBA season if they chose, in fact, not to be vaccinated. Uh, So I don't know how this blindsided him. I understand maybe not Courtney knowing like the minutia of, well, I can't even practice with my team because the practice facility is originally designated as a gym and then they they find a way to designate it as offices. And I, I get that being confusing maybe and you not being privy to that sort of information and the minutia there. But somebody in the team had to have been updating him about the potential effects of choosing not to get the vaccine, right? Like you could mm-hmm. not have been completely blindsided if you were Kyrie Irving. But at this point... The, the things have changed. The world has changed. His team's position has changed in terms of availability. And the NBA's position has changed generally because of allowing reserve players and expanding these rosters. So in effect, there's other part-time players in the league as well. It's just none of them have the name that Kyrie does. 
head coach Steve Nash said it's going to take Kyrie Irving potentially one to two weeks of a ramp-up period. We won't be able to see him in games at Madison Square Garden, if they're ever playing there, or at uh, the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Not allowed to play in the state of New York, so he still is his part-time player. I believe it's January 5th would probably be the target date there against the Indiana Pacers. So the, the Brooklyn Nets almost back at full strength, and we'll get to see where they are as they try to contend here in the East. Another team in the East, though, kind of in the same nonsense that they're always in, this song and dance of trying to get to 500, to stay at 500, and then they fall behind uh, the 500 mark. That's the Boston Celtics. And on Wednesday... They posted a historically bad shooting performance and a loss to the Los Angeles Clippers. They went four for 42 from three-point range. The old four for 42 night. Oh, my God. Like, how do you take 42 threes and make four of them? Like, I, I am like not I a basketball make... player, and I could do – I could make four on my own. Yeah. I'm now, not given... saying that. Not against a defense, perhaps, because that might be problematic. I'm not sure you they or were I would get wide off open single shots. Shot. That's but the thing is- that like trips me up here. These were like good looks. It's not like these are like contested threes where you've got Steph Curry in your face and your Kyrie Irving shooting over him in Game Seven of the Finals. These are wide open looks by a professional basketball player playing in the NBA. I mean, this is analytics at its finest because obviously (laughs) what's happening here is stick to the three, stick to the three, stick to the three. The problem with it is, yes, the the philosophy behind it is three is more than two. And so the more you can sink threes, the more points you're going to score, right? Like those are great analytics. The problem is when you're not making the threes, like that's when all the analytics go off the rails. So although the amount of three-point shots over just the last decade, just the last 10 years, Courtney, have doubled in terms of NBA teams, when you're having a knife for four for four, and like nothing sinking maybe you start giving up like after you know I don't know 25 of them 30 even like we we had to we had to do this 42 times before we realized like this isn't really our shot tonight it's just not sinking <laughs> it's just not working uh, apparently they thought it was which is absolutely wild they kept sticking with it but I guess you know kind of the like the old saying is die with the lie die with the three-point shot that's apparently what the Boston Celtics did in a historically bad performance to the Los Angeles Clippers quickly before we get out of here on Greeny Emmanuel quickly returned to the floor for the New York Knicks on Wednesday night uh, in a game against the Detroit Pistons first game back since he was with the in the COVID-19 health and safety protocols and apparently um Absence doesn't make the heart grow fonder and make you know how to spell someone's name. The back of his jersey, Q-U-C-I-K-L-E-Y. Emmanuel Quickly is the last name, Q-U-I-C-K-L-E-Y. I don't know how they spell like that qu- on the... Qu- quickly. Yes. <laughs> I mean, they were clearly... They were quickly doing that when they were sewing his name on the back of the jersey, which... Um, led to that error. I don't know if it's worse, though, having your last name spelled wrong on the back of the jersey or what the Indiana Hoosiers did spelling Indonesia on the front of their yeah, that's jerseys way worse. earlier this season. I'm with you. I think that's worse. But um, quickly, Q-U-I-C-K-L-E-Y. Thanks for listening to Greeny the Podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio and see it with the video on ESPN+. Also catch Greeny on Get Up weekday mornings at 8 on ESPN and also available wherever you get your podcast.